we continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel. And remember, you can remember the content of the book by remembering this book focuses on three people. Remember, three people. The first section of the book is on the prophet Samuel. And we spent the last two weeks looking at his early life and ministry from the godly parents he had to the ways he learned how to serve the Lord in the house of Eli with Eli's crazy sons. And Eli wasn't very faithful either. And he learned what not to do. He learned to hear the word of the Lord and just matured and grew into a man of God. We, we, we saw last week just the, the world that he lived in with the Philistines and the problems they caused and Israel and the problems they caused by not turning to the Lord and how Samuel had to show them it's not about bringing the ark or any kind of magic box into battle. It's simply about turning from your idols and turning to the Lord and letting God work on your behalf. And so Samuel's been ministering to them. Well, then tonight we begin a focus on the second guy, the second important guy in this book, and that is going to be King Saul. King Saul, remember, this book is basically about how Israel goes from God ruling the nation under judges, under prophets, to a monarchy, how that process takes place. And as we get to chapter 8, we see the call, as we did this weekend, for a king, why Israel wanted a king. And then as we look at the rest of the chapters tonight, we're going to see the rise of King Saul. We're going to see the good things about his life tonight, things that God used in his life, in his early ministry as a king. And then, of course, next week, we'll get to his fall and the things that he did that were wrong. And both ways we can learn. We can learn from the good things that he did, and we certainly next week can learn from the poor decisions that he made. And so if you're taking notes tonight, we're going to see five things as we make our way through those chapters. We will go through these one at a time, but we're going to see that Saul was requested there in chapter 8, that he was humble in chapter 9, that he was anointed in the rest of chapter 9 and 10, that he was caring, he cared for people, loved people, and that he was warned to walk with God there in chapter 12. And so let's look at those one and again, one at a time, starting there in chapter 8. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old. And remember, some of you should be offended because he was about 60 years old at this point. So I'm just reading the Bible. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the one that says it. Then he and his sons judged over Israel. And the name of the firstborn was Joel. And the name of the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. And they turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together And came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That I should not reign over them according to all the works that they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods so they are doing to you also now therefore heed their voice however however you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them 
So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots, and he will appoint captains over his thousands and captain over his fifties, and he will set some to plow his field and reap his harvest and make some his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and female servants and your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out, verse 18, you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Sad, verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Now, we went over this chapter on our weekend services, so I'm not going to go into much detail in it tonight. If you missed it, just encourage you. I know many of you women were being blessed at the uh, women's retreat where I heard God did some amazing things, but I think it was an important word. So if you're so inclined, uh, you may want to go online and get it for free and check it out and listen to it, but uh, understand the context here where we're learning about Saul and how Saul came to be king over Israel, and we see the story in chapter 8 of how he was requested by the people. They come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. And as we looked at this weekend, remember, they give the reasons. They say, you're old, you 60-year-old, you're old. And then secondly, they say, your sons, your sons don't walk in your ways. Notice that. It wasn't that Samuel was a hypocrite as a parent. It's that his kids chose not to go in the way of dear old dad Samuel. You know, sometimes kids will go astray because we're kind of hypocrites. Maybe, maybe there's a difference between what you say you believe and the way that you operate at home. If that's the truth, can I just lovingly encourage you? Man, repent. Repent and get right. That doesn't mean you, we don't have moments of failure. We all do as parents. But, but there shouldn't be this gap between what we say we believe and we think we believe and the way we operate at it at home, if there is, there needs to be some repentance and say, Lord, Lord, help there not be that gap. Help me be honest in repentance to my kids when there is that gap. Sometimes kids will go astray because there's hypocrisy at home. But listen, listen, sometimes kids also go astray because they have a free will of their own. (laughs) And they're going to do what they want and go their own way, no matter what you've taught them, no matter what you've shared with them, no matter what you say. And that was going on with Samuel's kids. They weren't walking as his ways, the Bible tells us. So, but remember... The nation of Israel was using those two things as a cover story. That was their cover story. We don't like it that you're old. We don't like it that your sons are crazy. So we want a king to rule over us. But, but in verse five, the emphasis of the Hebrew is what their real reason was. We want to be like every other nation. 
every other nation has a king that represents them in war and before the people. And we, we, we want to be like everybody else. And Samuel hears this and he is bummed. He is bummed. Why has God not been good to you? Has God not been faithful to you? This is craziness. And he, he pours out his heart to God. And, and you know, God says, give him a king, Samuel. Give him a king. But then he says, then he says, but you've got to tell them what it's going to be like to be under a king. Because you remember, if you were here, that although they wanted a king because every other nation had a king, they didn't live in those other nations. <laughs> they didn't live there. They didn't know what it was like to be under human government. Now, we do. We live in the United States of America. But they didn't know that. So they didn't realize that the human king's a little hungrier than God in heaven. And if you're going to replace God in heaven with humans, it takes a few more humans to replace God. And those human jobs that will never replace God require a big government budget and lots of taxes. Israel has no idea. So God says, you tell him, Samuel. And Samuel does. He says, this king of yours is going to take, 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 take. Take your sons, take your daughters, take your fields, take your money. And you are going to cry out, verse 18, cry out even more than you're crying out. God, give me a king. You're going to cry out, Lord, take him away. And the people hear all of this, all of this, And what do they say? Verse 19. Okay, we get it. We still want a king. Crazy, crazy. And so much like you and me. We say, Lord, I I need a new relationship. Tired of the one I'm in. I'm not saying that, dear. That's not what I'm saying. Other people are saying that. Other people are saying that. I don't like the relationship I'm in. Or or you're single and you're saying, all I want to be is in a relationship. Lord, you've got to hear me on this. Or I want a change of job. I want a change of venue. I want to change where I live. And we're crying out to God. And as we talked about this weekend, friends, sometimes we have the clear revealed word of God that what we're asking for isn't good for us. And even if we don't have that, The fact that God hasn't given you yet what you've requested, you know what that means? It means at least, listen, 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 at least for right now, that thing isn't good for you. I'm not saying it won't be in the future because remember, remember, God wanted to give them a king. It was his desire to give him a king. He wrote into Deuteronomy 17 and 18, when I appoint a king over you, here's how he'll behave. Here's what he's to do. It was God's desire all along to give him a king. It was the timing they were wrong on. It was the motives they were wrong on. And maybe for you, it's just the timing. It's just the timing. But how do I know it's not good if he hasn't given it to you yet? Because remember Psalm 84:11, no good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. No good thing, nothing, nothing. So if God is withholding something from you, listen, precious ones, it's because at least for this season in your life, it's not good. And now that we know that, here's the choice. We can either trust the Lord, cling to the Lord, or like the children of Israel, we can say, no, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to push my way. And if we do, Oh, friend, we will end up just like the children of Israel. Instead of a giving situation, instead of a blessing, it'll be a take, 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 take situation. And you will end up crying out, Lord, I was a fool. Take this situation away. How much better to trust the Lord. The children of Israel did not. They requested a king, and we meet this king in chapter 9. Look at it with me. We're going to see that Saul starts out pretty good, though. He starts out pretty humble. Look at it with me. Chapter 9, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin 
whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zor, the son of a bunch of other guys. Verse 2. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Choice and handsome. There was not a more handsome person than he among all the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Man, tall and good looking. They should have known that was no good. Anyways, 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 anyways. Short and kind of medium looking. That's much better, much better. Anyways, verse three, verse three. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the, the land of, of Shalessa and they, they did not find them. And so they passed through the land of Shalem and they went, they were not there also. And they passed through the land of Benjamin, but he did not find them there. And when he had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to the servants who were with him, come, let us return and let my father cease caring about the donkeys and be, become worried about us. And he said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God. He's an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And Saul said to his servants, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul and said, look, I have here in my hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. And he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up to the hill to the city. And they met some young women going to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered and said, yes, he is. He's just ahead of you. Hurry. For today he came to the city because there's a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city, and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time. I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because of their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate, and he said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, "Uh, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place and you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and I will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, they were lost three days. Do not be anxious about them for they have been found and on whom is all the desire of Israel. Is it not you and on your father's house? And Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite? the smallest tribe of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? We see here that Saul starts out right on. He's humble. Next week, we'll get to his downfall and we'll see what his problems are. But tonight, I really want to point out some good things in his life that we can emulate. 
I mean, we get little glimpses of the trouble that is ahead in Saul's life. What do I mean by that? Remember, he's going to find the prophet, and he has no idea what the prophet of God looks like. Not a clue. In fact, he's standing right in front of him, and he says, do you know where I can find the prophet? (laughs) Oh, you're looking at him. Now, we can say, well, give him a break, Pastor Jason. I mean, this was the day before TV, and it wasn't like today's culture where every famous face is always plastered on the news, and everybody knows what everybody else looks like. I I hear that. I hear that. But please understand, Saul was from Gibeah. Samuel ministered in Ramah, which was five miles away from Saul's front door. Now, now, do you think if the leader of the nation spiritually lived five miles from your front door in any age of human history, you might have occasionally run into him at a church service? You may have occasionally been to something he was speaking at where you would know and see his face. Of course you would. If Billy Graham lived in Oceanside, I'm trying to tell you, even in the days before TV, we would have run into him at an Easter event. He would have run into him at some kind of spiritual prayer meeting. And this gives us just the first indication something's not right. The spiritual things to Saul, they're not that important. He has no idea who the seer is. But that aside, he is humble. When when Samuel comes to him and says, the desire of Israel, what's the desire of Israel? Remember what we just read in chapter 8? Israel says, we want a king. Samuel says, the desire of Israel is you, Saul. You're the one God is calling to be king over Israel. And did you notice Saul's reaction? He didn't say, well, of course, I'm tall, dark, and good looking. Of course I'm the king. He could have said that. He didn't say that. He said, what are you talking about? I'm from the weakest tribe in this nation. I'm from the weakest family in that house. You have all, all obviously got the wrong guy. And I point that out to you, precious men and women, because if we want to think, man, how can I be used to the Lord? How can I be effective in the kingdom of God? You know a great place to start? A little humility, a little humility. Sometimes, not all of us, but sometimes we think that God got a good deal when he picked us. You know, Lord, you, you were really thinking this through when you called me into the ministry because, <laughs> you know, some of it, I mean, you'd never say that out loud, but let's be honest. You look in the mirror and you're like, good job, Lord, good job. Good job for calling me. But listen, 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 if that's a struggle deep in your heart somewhere, you got to realize that the word of God actually says the opposite, the opposite of what, why God called you. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle said this. He said, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the what? The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those that are mighty, that why no flesh should glory in his presence. Man, has God called you to something? You know why he's called you? Because he looks at you, let's be honest. He says, yeah, Jason's a little foolish. Yeah, that guy's not very wise. That'll be great. I will pour, listen, I'll pour my spirit out on him. I'll pour my spirit out on her. And guess what? I'll get the glory. Oh, that's awesome. But we've got to remember it. Because God is using you and he is calling you. There's a tendency to think, look at what I have done. Oh, warning, warning, warning. 
Psalm 147 says, God lifts up the humble, but he tears down the prideful. Humility is so key to being a spiritual leader. In fact, next week we'll see in Saul's downfall that Samuel's going to say to him, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, there was no end to what God could do in your life. But now that you think you're the big time, now that you think you're the big G's, now you really are kind of cheesy. That doesn't say that exactly, but that's the point. That's my version of the text. He, he says, now you got a little big for your britches, and now, and now I can't use you anymore. Oh, let's tuck that away in our hearts. God loves you. God's called you. God's anointed you. It's not because there's anything in you. But once he does fill you and anoint you, man, you are filled with his spirit. Let him use you. Let him take you. Let him do things in you that are made. But always remember... Lord, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. Saul was, first of all, humble. Second, we're going to see here, another key to being used by the Lord. Secondly, we're going to see that he was anointed. He was anointed. Look at verse 22. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit at the place of honor among those that were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave to you, of which I said, set it apart. And the cook took the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, that which was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. And they arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day. And Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I might send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go ahead. And he said, he went on, but you stand here a while that I might announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at, at, at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which we went have, have been found. And so now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys. He's worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. And three men will be going up to God at Bethel and will meet you, one carrying three young goats and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hand. And after they will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments and a tambourine and a flute and a harpy before them and they will be prophesying verse 6 then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy and with them and be turned into another man and let it be when these signs come to you that you shall do as the occasion demand for God is with you Saul with all of his faults as we will delve into next week he was still anointed by God David, as we'll meet him in a couple of weeks, David certainly was aware of that fact. 
as we're going to see David being chased by Saul through the wilderness on multiple occasions, it looks like God delivers Saul right into his hands. He's there sleeping in the cave where David and his men are, and David's men are encouraging him, kill him, kill him, the Lord's delivered him into your hands. David sneaks into the camp because the Lord put a deep sleep on all the men and he sneaks right up and takes Saul's spear that he just could have easily put through Saul and, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet each time, guess what? David won't touch Saul. And he gives you the reason over and over again. He says, because he is the Lord's anointed. David realizes God has put him in the position of a king. Now, when we use the term anointed, What we normally mean by that is we say that person's gifted in that area. We say that worship leader is anointed. I love the music God gives them or that that preacher is anointed. I just love to listen to him teach the word of God. We, We mean by the term anointed, gifted by God. But listen, church family, the word anointed literally means to consecrate or call to service. Do you hear me on that? To consecrate or call to service. You see, anointed just doesn't mean gifted. It means called by God to do something. And of course, I hope the worship leader or a pastor is called by God, consecrated by God to do a particular ministry. But sometimes we can think that anointing is just for people who minister on a stage. Anointing is just for people who are in full-time ministry. And I believe the enemy uses that to get us to believe that you are What you are called to do for the Lord is somehow less significant than what I'm called to do, than what Pastor Rob is called to do. And friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Some of you are called by God to be parents, to raise kids, to love and know God. God's called you to that ministry. Some of you are called to disciple one-on-one people and help them grow. Some of you are called to counsel, not in some office, at some church building, just over coffee. Some of the best counseling in the world just happens in a coffee shop. When, we, when I was in Texas, we used to say that about Debbie Bryson, that she, she was the pastor wives whisperer, that there was no, that there was no, there was nothing wrong in your heart that she couldn't fix over a cup of coffee. And I still believe that to this day. I mean, just sit down and over a cup and she whispered. And it, it, all of a sudden you're different. So we all have different callings. We all have different callings. She's anointed to do that. You're anointed to do something. You have a calling. And I want you to see that because what God did in Saul to establish that anointing, to establish that calling, I think he wants to do in every one of us. We see the first thing God does to establish him in the calling in verse 27, back of chapter 9. In verse 27, Samuel declared to him the word of God. And I love, I love how this verse is, is translated in some of the other translations. It says in the English Standard Version, stop here for a while that I make known to you the word of God. It says in the, in the King James, stand here a while that I might show you the word of God. Think about that for a second, church. You want to grow in your calling? Be that a calling as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a discipler, as a worship leader, as a Bible teacher? Then you and me, we need to stand still before the word of God. We are often such in a rush for everything, aren't we? And it's part of our culture. And I, I'm the greatest offender at this. This might strike you as strange. 
but I'm a little high strung. I'm a little impatient when things are going slow in my life. I want, let's do this now. And our culture set up to like spur us on for that. Our coffee's supposed to be on that counter in under a minute. My burger, under three minutes. They even put that little clock outside of the drive-thru window to let you know that they think you should have it within three minutes because it starts flashing. If you don't know what that's for, let me tell you, I used to work fast food back in the day. And when that clock started flashing, we started getting nervous at Carl's Jr. because we knew that our boss was going to get a little, little message. This is, I almost said text, but this was long before text was invented. So anyways, it would get a little message the next day saying, Jason did not get the burger out in three minutes. So I see that in my car and I'm like, it's flashing, it's flashing, it's flashing, which means you're slow and I have every right to be. We are impatient. We are impatient. And what? We bring that sometimes into the word of God. It's like, okay, here I go. I got 15 minutes. And you know, I can read fast. Okay, done. I don't know if that's what God intends. I really don't. I mean, there is a time just to read, 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 read. I really think you should have three relationships with the word of God. I think you should just read it. You know why? Because this world gets us dirty. And it's good just to let the word of God wash over our minds, just to read it. I hope you do that. But also, I think there's a time to study it, to dig in, let it dig into you. But there's also a time, listen, church, just to meditate. Slow down and just let the Lord speak into your life. And that is so necessary, especially in our culture that is go, go, go. It's so important for us to slow, slow, slow and let God speak into our lives. If I want to grow in my calling, if you want to grow in your calling, we've got to slow down and let God speak into our lives through his word. The second thing we see that happens to Saul to me is equally important. In chapter 10, verse 6, we see that Saul was filled with the Spirit. You know, Saul's anointed. And of course, physically, Samuel took a vial of olive oil and just dumped it all over Saul's head. He'll do that to David in in a few Wednesday nights. We'll get to that. It was how Israel anointed their kings. But why olive oil? Because it was a picture of something. It was a picture of what they really needed. They didn't really need olive oil in their hair. What they really needed is what that olive oil pictured, the spirit of God on their lives. You know, this anointing with oil wasn't common in the world in this time. Anointing your king was absolutely common. But do you know how most of the pagans anointed their king? This was crazy. Did a little research on this, on this this week. Most of the pagan nations would boil animal fat and dump that, not still boiling, of course, but once it was in liquid form, I mean, just think about it, just making some bacon and then dumping that tray of bacon grease all over the king's head. Besides causing some serious acne, you know why they did that? You know why most of the pagan nations did that? Because what they were saying, what their king was saying is, I want to take on the characteristics of this wild animal. This ox 
his fat that was boiled down for me, this wolf that was boiled down for me. I want to take on the characteristics of a a wild animal. That's what they were saying. That's what they were saying. And yet God says, no, no, not my people. I don't want my people to take on the characteristics of a wild animal. I want my people to take on my characteristics. I don't want them to be made into the image of some beast. I want them shaped into the image of the living God. And that's why we're called to anoint with oil. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. But I'm so glad. Can you, can you imagine if James chapter 5 says, any sick among you? Call upon the elders of the church and let them anoint you with bacon grease. That would be so weird. So weird. No teenagers would ever want to be prayed for, ever. No way. But that's not what he's saying. He says, no oil, because it's not an animal you need. It's the Lord you need. And we see there in chapter 10, verse 6, when the Spirit of God comes upon Saul, what happens to him? He's made into another man, it says there. Now, be careful. Be careful to read into that that Saul was saved. He, he might have been. He might have been. Or to read into that that Saul was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Possibly. But the phraseology there that he was given another heart, given, made another man, what it's telling you is that God gave this farmer the heart of a king. That God gave him the heart he needed to rule his people. And you'll see that in the next chapter. He now has a heart for the nation, the ability to lead them. He was a different man. But the wording, the wording, I think, is important for all of us to grow in our callings. Because we need to be changed into different men and different women. We've talked about this before. But we must, if we're ever going to be the husband that God's calling us to be, or the wives God is calling some of you to be, or the pure single person God's calling you to be, or the parent God's calling you to be, or the child God's calling you to be, the employee, the employer, before God ever gives any of these relationships in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, you guys know this. The first thing he says is you must be filled with the Spirit. You must be. Why? Because we can never be what God has called us to be in the power of our flesh. We need to be different men and different women. We must be filled with the Spirit. And to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean to be stuffed with the Spirit. It means to be controlled by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, to become a different man under His power, not mine. I don't like who I am in the flesh. If my flesh is allowed to dominate, well, the pages of church history are littered with the results of men and women who have disqualified themselves from service. So what do we do? We must be filled with his spirit. I know that that happens at the moment of salvation. The moment we say, Lord, I believe in you. Take my sin, turn from it. I want you to be my God. The scripture tells us the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, in our hearts. I know it happens at the moment of salvation. But in Ephesians 5.18, Paul literally says, be being filled with the Spirit. Yes, it happens at the moment of salvation. But it needs to happen every single day in our lives. Where we're filled with the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Changed from the men and women that we are in the natural 
the men and women that he has called us to be. I know whenever someone asks me for prayer and they say, I, am, I just cannot get over this besetting sin, what I want to know is, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you trying to live this life in the power of your own flesh? Or are you living in the power of the Spirit? Oh, I just can't be the husband. I'm... Are, you, are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you trying to do this marriage thing in your flesh? Well, good luck with that. You need the Spirit of God. Yes, Saul was anointed. Yes, with oil. But more importantly, established by the Word of God and the Spirit of God in his life. And the same thing are essential for you and I as well. Saul was requested. He was humble. He was anointed. Fourthly on that list, notice in chapter 11, he was caring. He was caring. What do I mean? Look at chapter 11, verse 1 with me. Then Nahash, by the way, Nahash, his name means snake. I hope that was a name his enemies gave him and not his mama. That's all I got to say. I just, I hope his mama wasn't like, oh, little snakey. Anyways, but <laughs> then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Mr. Snake, make a covenant with us. We will serve you. And Naash the Ammonite answered and said, on this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I might put out all your right eyes and bring a reproach on all of Israel. Oh, is that all you're asking for? Verse three, then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to to Gibeah of Saul and told the news and the hearing of the people and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now, there was Saul coming in from the herd, from the field. So he's still a farmer. But notice this. God has given him now the heart of a king. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news. And his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of Messer, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be, that who is, that the, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the people. And they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in, in, in Berzik, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah were 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. And the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh and they were glad. No kidding. Verse 10. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow, we will come out to you that you may do with us whatever seems good to you. And so it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered at no two of them were left together. And the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, Saul, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put him to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went there and they, were, they, they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they made sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men rejoiced gladly. We read here in chapter 11, Saul's first test is king over Israel. Day one of being king over Israel, Nahash, this man whose name means snake, he wants 
to conquer the city of Jabesh Gilead, a city in Israel. And the men of Jabesh come out and say, what are your terms? We'll serve you. You'll, don't kill us. Don't kill our wives. Don't kill our children. We'll serve you. What are your terms? And his terms are pretty harsh. I'm going to put out your right eye, and then I'll give you terms. By this, we see the cruelty of this man named Snake. I mean, he doesn't want to kill him. He wants to maim him when they're right eye. Most, again, people, as we've learned through the book of, of Joshua and Judges, were right-handed, so to not have your right eye would be tough to be a swordsman. So he wants to, he wants to limit their ability to fight back. He wants to pain, you know, cause pain in them, and then he still wants them to be their slaves. You could still be a slave with one eye. And so this is horrible, horrible terms. And the men of Jabesh Gilead say, give us seven days, and we will go and we'll ask for help. And this guy... Nahash, this snake man, he's, he's pretty prideful. He says, yeah, go ahead. See if anybody can come and come against me. Gives him seven days. So the word goes out, and Saul, who has this new heart of a king, he hears it. Now, now listen, Jabesh Gilead had some, had some kind of iffy history. Remember, those of you that do, when we were studying the book of, of, of Judges, that when Israel was going to war against the tribe of Benjamin, and they put the call out, everybody, come and go to war against the tribe of Benjamin, or, or they just wanted to go first to the city where that wicked event took place, there was one group of people that didn't come, the men from Jabesh Gilead. They didn't see the need to go help their countrymen in battle, and how ironic is it that years later, here they need their countrymen to come and help them. So Saul could have just said, well, those guys... They weren't willing to help their countrymen. Let's show them why you need to help your countrymen in times of war. He could have said that. He could have justified not doing anything because what we didn't read at the end of chapter 10 is there were some people, when they heard that God had raised up Saul, that they said, who's this Saul character? We don't want him to rule over us. Saul could have said, the whole nation isn't even united behind me. I can't really raise an army. Saul didn't do either of those things. He cut up a group of oxen. He said, I'm going to do this to your oxen. I'm going to do this to your cows. If you don't come and serve, 330,000 men responded. And they sent word to Jabesh Gilead, we're coming to help you. No doubt they were like, praise the Lord. They put away their eye patches. We don't need these. Praise the Lord. They stopped practicing their pirate accents. You know, it was great. They were really happy. I'm not losing my right eye. Praise the Lord. And Saul marches all night. And what is simply an act of love and service to the people of Israel. And after God does this great victory, notice the people say, who are those men that said, who is Saul to reign over us? Let's kill him. And Saul, again, showing mercy and love, says, no one's dying today. And Israel responded. Oh, oh, hear me on this. They responded by making him their king. And what we're reading here in chapter 11 is honestly the highlight of Saul's kingship. It's really sad that his highlight is on day one, but that's the truth. It is all downhill from here. This is the pinnacle of his success. But notice, notice what brought him to this point. He was humble, yes, important. He was anointed, essential. But when it came to getting people to follow him, it was his love and care for them that did it. The old adage is so true. People will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is true no matter who God is calling you to lead. God's calling you to lead your marriage, men. Do I have to say that your wife's not going to want to follow until she knows that you love her? She knows that you, she is the princess of your heart. 
She needs to know that, guys. Your kids, mom and dad. Now they're going to follow me because I'm the law. Yeah, for a while. But if they know you love them, they know you care about them, and they'll follow. There'll be some tough years at times, but they'll follow. At work, you that are bosses and leaders, do your people know you love them and care for them? They're not going to truly follow until you do. And, and, and we, can, we can write these platitudes, but, but really understand it's being like Jesus. I mean, Saul is nowhere in the scriptures more like Jesus than in this story. Jesus, who went all night being beaten and whipped. Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. And when we see that on Friday night, is there anything more in the word of God that just makes you say, I will serve you. I will follow you. I will leave the sin and the shame and these empty idols in my life. And I will follow you. Why? Because he first loved you. That's why we love him. Oh, we need to see this, gang. We need to see this. I remember telling my staff when I was pastoring the church in Texas, and I know Pastor Rob feels the same way. I would tell the guys, like, look, if you're struggling with a sin, I'm going to help you walk through the sin. I don't know, whatever you're doing, I will help you walk through this thing, but there's one thing I will not tolerate. If you don't love the precious people that come to this church, then there is no place for you on this staff. If you don't love the people that God sent this way, if you're harsh toward them, angry with them, cold toward them, well, you can find some other place to work because that, to me, I can't work with it. I can't work with it. If you want to lead somebody, you better love them. You better care for them. Well, I don't. What do I do? You pray for them. You pray for them. I've often found it is so hard to be angry and bitter at people when I'm interceding for them. When I'm praying God's blessing over them, I start to have God's heart for them. Man, pray. We need to love. Isn't that what Paul said again in 1 Corinthians? Though I speak with the tongues of angels and I have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, if I have not love, nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Humbleness, essential. Anointing, absolutely. But love, so key to fruitful, effective ministry. One more thing. Let's read chapter 12, and then we'll be done here tonight. Chapter 12, we see Saul being warned. This is Saul's coronation, and Samuel's going to preach. Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and I've made you a king. Now here is your king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, so you say. Look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you this day from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I, have I taken? Who have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? For whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, or taken anything from our hand. And then he said, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. 
And Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, who brought you out of your father's house from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt, your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he often sold their hand into Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor and the hand of the Philistines and the hand of the king of Moab and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent you uh, Jeroboam, which is Gideon and Bedin, which is probably uh, correctly translated Barak. Remember Deborah and Barak? Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you into the hand of your enemies on every side and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Naash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is your king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. Take note, the Lord has set a king over you. And if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord God, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call thunder and, and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. And Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider the great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away, both you and your king. Man, Samuel lays it out. What a sermon. What a sermon. How come you can't preach that fast? I don't know. Pray for me. He just nails it there in three minutes. What a great sermon. He says, have I done anything wrong? Have I done anything wrong? Samuel says, and they're like, nope, 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 nope. What a, what a, what a, what a testimony, by the way. I mean, if some pastor serves for 40 years of the church, you can't find one person who feels offended. That's a pretty, that's a pretty clean living right there. Not one raises up a voice against Samuel. He says, your witness this day. Then he says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord took you out of Egypt and brought you to the wilderness and brought you into the promised land. And has he ever done anything that's wrong to you? And they said, no, no, the Lord's never done anything. And Samuel says, yet you rejected me. You've rejected God and you wanted a king. So here's your king. <laughs> and as we saw this weekend, what a moment that would have been for Saul. huh? <laughs> here's the results of your disobedience. Ta-da! You know, like, what a great inauguration day for Saul, huh? But remember, 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 remember. This warning was not just for the people. 
This warning was also for Saul. Samuel lays it out there. Here's the king you've chosen. But if you will serve me with your king, I will be with you. See, I think somewhere in the heart of the people, they thought, if we have a king, we no longer have to worry about obeying God. (laughs) We seem to get in trouble every time we disobey, and God sends some kind of foreign nation to oppress us, and so we don't like this system. If we have a king, then we don't have to obey. The Lord's like, no. Here's your king. You still have to obey. And if you'll obey me with your king, I'm going to bless you. If you'll turn away from those worthless idols, I love that phrase, then I will bless you. But if you don't, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. Such an important word to the nation of Israel that day. And you know what? Such an important word to us as well. Because all of us, we make poor choices. It happens. (laughs) We demand something. (laughs) We work our way into a situation. And now we're stuck with a Saul. Or a Saulina. <laughs> or a Saul of a situation. Oh, I thought this was going to be this, this job. And it's not. This job is all. What do you do? You serve God right where you're at. Not what I want to hear. I want to hear God's going to give me a new man. Or a new... Maybe he will. Would you let the Lord do that, though? Would you learn from your mistake? Let the Lord do it. Let the Lord do these things. Let the Lord work in your life. Because if not, we start to put our, our eyes on men and things. And what did Samuel say? Those things are empty. Those things cannot save. Those things cannot fulfill. No person, no job, no place to live, no achievement. Nothing will ever fulfill the deepest recesses of your heart because you, men and women, have been made to love and worship God. Everything else, the best of everything else, is empty compared to the living God who you and I were called to serve. And if we will serve him right in the middle of our Saul situation, right in the middle of our thing we forced, God's going to be there. God's going to bless you. God's going to walk you through it. Saul is not going to hear this warning. It's all downhill from here. We'll see next week his insecurities and his impatience with God and his disobedience and all these different things. And we'll see him fall. Saul's story has already been written. But here's the deal. Yours and mine? Not totally, not yet. Maybe you have forced a situation and The enemy wants to say, well, God's done with you. There's no more future in this. Just continue going deeper down the road of rebellion. But I believe the Lord would say to you and me, no way. No way. Yes, you've made poor choices. Yes, there will be some consequences. But I still want to be your God. I still want to lead you into good things. So follow me now more importantly than ever. Saul doesn't. What will you and I do? Father, we come before you tonight and we see the things that Saul, if he would have stayed there, 
If he would have stayed a man that was little in his own eyes. If he would have clung to what you did in his life when you anointed him, just sitting still before the word and being filled with your spirit. Lord, if he would have just stayed a man that just loved people and served people, Saul would have been a great king over Israel. But as we will see seven days from now, Saul is going to become an unmitigated disaster because he didn't heed this warning of chapter 12. He got his eyes onto himself. He started trying to find fulfillment in the things of this life and the things of this world. And he learned that they were empty idols. I pray for us, Lord, that we would hear your voice to us today. That even when we do fall, and we do, Lord, you still want to be our God. You want us to cling to you now more than ever. And lead us into radical and amazing things. So, Lord, tonight we just surrender. And we say, amen, Lord. Be our God. Be our king. Keep us humble. Keep us in your word. Fill us with your spirit. Give us a love for those you've called us to serve. And if it's not in our heart, may we begin to start praying. Lord, give me your heart toward that guy. Give me your heart toward that gal. Give me your heart to those kids. Give me your heart to those people, to those employees. Lord, give us your heart. May we be yours, fully yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.